Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. A kick. It is. Good. 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 To be the man, you gotta beat the man. The 2 1. Swung line drive left field. One run is in. Here's Kevin Green. This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Powers on Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Powers, down here in wet, wet Tampa, Florida. After Tropical Storm, Hurricane Etta, whatever Greek alphabet letter you want to use, just rolled through the Tampa Bay area last night. We are uh, recording this uh, post-storm and... We have a guest today, one T.J. Reeves. T.J. is the sideline reporter for the Buccaneer Radio Network. He also hosts a great podcast called the Three Dog Thursday Podcast and is also a national radio play-by-play voice for Compass Media Networks covering college football this time of year. Welcome to the podcast, T.J. It's good to be back with you, and you got the roll call of all of that correct. And we need to cross-promote. We're all about cross-promoting Jason Powers on the Three Dog Thursday podcast. So we've already kind of sort of had a conversation this week. Now this is a follow-up to that conversation. And I'm just glad that we're safe. Again, I know the audience, wherever they're hearing us, uh, it it affected West Central Florida. Um, Obviously, uh, the tropical storm was a hurricane earlier, uh, late last week and last weekend that just battered Honduras and Belize in the Yucatan Peninsula. Then it took a few days to come up at us. We're just thankful that it wasn't that serious when it came through Florida and we're hanging in there, my friend. And we are, and yeah, it's weird. Of all places, the Tampa Bay areas very rarely ever get the direct hit for whatever reason with the hurt, the path of these hurricanes. Normally it it goes to South Florida up uh, into the panhandle. So this is kind of a rare occurrence where we kind of took the brunt of the storm a little bit and, this weather's probably going to roll up through Augusta here today. I know today they've already had a weather delay on Thursday. It's, th- it's Thursday when we're taping this, so they've already had a weather delay this morning at the Masters, so that will probably have some impact on the round today and tomorrow potentially. So well, welcome to the podcast, TJ. Like I said, uh, we're going to talk some Masters. We're going to talk a little college football. We're going to talk a little NFL. We're also going to talk a little a little college basketball. There was an interesting uh, – story coming out of Wichita this week that we're going to hit on that's kind of a surprise so let's let's get to the Masters first TJ I know you're a big golf guy big golf fan Bryson DeChambeau Mm. is this approach he's taking the muscle up bulk it up hit it hit it over all the all the hazards all the issues and try to just outdrive everybody is this a new way to play golf or is just this kind of his mad scientist philosophy of just trying something out and see how it goes or maybe d all of the above it's everything uh bear in mind this guy's a former u.s amateur champion a former ncaa champion and he totally redid his body as you're making reference to and now is built like a strong safety or maybe even a linebacker middle linebacker put on put on 20 25 pounds of upper body muscle with the intent of being able to hit the ball farther almost like the six million dollar man to be able to run faster jump higher hit it farther than any golfer 
uh, than, than what Tiger did in the heyday or what Dustin Johnson or John Rahm or Rory McIlroy or any of the long hitters in the present day can do. So, so by design, he's really got two or three things at work. He's got the physical component, but he is such an analytical guy yes. here with club head speed, with the, with the speed of the ball rotation. And so because he's putting all of that together without getting too technical, the ball is now going 350, 375 yards in the air, Correct. which again is very uncommon. Most of the guys that are hitting it 350 don't hit it 350 in the air. And straight and, and relatively straight. straight. And, so, and so that's the big challenge here as we watch this unfold and whenever they're hearing the podcast, can he hit it that far and hit it straight and really render Augusta into becoming, like he suggested, a par 66 or a par 67 golf course where the par fives aren't a challenge, where every par five, he's almost looking at it as I'm going to be a birdie at worst on the par five. And is mockery the right word? If he makes a mockery <laughs> of the green jackets of Augusta National, how big a deal is this going to be? And we don't know that answer right now at the time that we're and, taking. And the good thing with the one thing that DeChambeau has is he's got some credibility. He's won some tournaments. He just won the U.S. Open. So it's not like he's coming out of nowhere to do this and make this change. I mean, he's had some success on the tour. Like you said, he's an amateur champion. One thing people don't realize his clubs, the way his clubs are designed, are completely different than everybody else's too. Different angles of his club, the shaft, the shafts, and all that stuff. He uses longer clubs for shorter irons. I mean, he is a completely mad scientist kind of guy when it comes to just the entire thing of of, of hitting a golf ball. So he's and, and give him credit. He's he's like a lot of golfers have said. He's made the full time commitment to do this. A lot of guys wouldn't make the commitment physically to do it wouldn't make the commitment to try to in midstream of his career when he's being successful to make this kind of change. So we'll see what happens. Augusta national is very much known as a second shot course. Anyway, no matter how far you hit it, that second shot into the green hitting to the right part of the green because of the undulation in the sure. green, you hear people, you hear these guys on the golf uh, on the tour say all the time, Augusta, you never hit a flat shot other than the tee shot. You're always at an angle. You're you're on a side hill. You're at a you know some vert downhill uphill lies. So it's going to be very interesting. And, and, and guess what? You still have to do to win the dough. You got to putt for the dough. Amen. Well, and he could he could overpower this with length and still to your point, screw it up with short game, with chip, with putt, with three putt, with yep. missing the clutch five footer. Uh, I know Bob Herrig of ESPN.com was with us on the Three Dog Thursday podcast. Again, I'm trying not to shamelessly plug that one, but Herrick had such great Absolutely insight. Do it. Absolutely. Herrick was was there in the media center, longtime ESPN golf reporter, ESPN.com. And he said, for all the talk, I'm paraphrasing here about the length, you still got to stand over a five-footer, a clutch five-footer that breaks and make it. You still are going to have situations where you miss the green. How is your short game? Those kind of things. That's where that's where Tiger Woods has been throughout his long-storied Hall of Fame career, epic career, lethal, is with the short game and with the putter. Does DeChambeau have that this week? And I know we're focusing a lot on that name, but for example, just for one more for one more. All right. The famous aim in corner and those par five holes that he's going to play on the back nine on the 13th hole that dogs around to the left dog leg around to the left has all of the pine trees down the right and down the right side of the fairway. When you dog left, he is 
just intending to shambo to try to blast the ball 350 or 375 yards in the air over those pine trees and onto the 14th fairway. That is his design. That is his intent to play out of the 14th fairway coming back at the 13th right. hole. Right. Again, if the green jackets see this stuff and see what this guy is doing, I believe one of the things they will begin to restrict, because this is their tournament. This is not the PGA Tour or anybody else's tournament. They'll begin to restrict the golf ball and right. say, we're going to do golf ball tests on how you're getting the extra 30, 50, 60 yards in the air to do this stuff with the golf ball. So let's just see what happens. Let's see. I mean, he may try this and shoot 65, and he may try this and shoot 73 or 75, and we're all going to be – I'm just thrilled that we're getting that we're getting something here out of out of Augusta. And, and just as we've begun to tape here on Powers on Sports, we're seeing the images on Masters.com, ESPN+, Plus, 75-degree late morning on Thursday after the rain. It looks right. fantastic, and I'm thrilled that we're getting something, Jason out of this and obviously yeah obviously the masters has been moved from from april to november so again as golf fans i think we're all happy that it's uh we're having the masters there are no patrons not fans but yeah. patrons in attendance have you ever been to the masters i have been to the practice round uh the practice rounds on four occasions wow and patrons everywhere and people everywhere i don't know about you it is just, and then we're seeing images of this on Thursday when we're taping the podcast. It is eerie. It is weird to see these guys walking around and nobody's around them. And even more, more uh, for their visual, there's no grandstands on right. some of the holes. There's no right. grandstand around the tee box. There's no grandstand around the green when you're approaching. It is just weird, Jason. Yeah, that's right. I mean, in the famous 16th hole where you know where Tiger Woods had his famous chip in off the 16th off the off the off the green. Just those those images that we as fans watching on TV were so used to seeing on CBS. That's going to be interesting to see how what our visual thought is when we watch it on you know all four days. But now, have you been? Saturday, I get the Sunday. sense. I get the sense you've been. Have you been? I never have been. Not no. gotten inside, but you've been no. around Augusta because you know about the Waffle House and uh, and yeah. all the uh, the other stuff they have out on Washington Road. Yes. Uh, right after uh, right after the Augusta National entrance, but. Uh, yeah, it's just it's different. And again, they restrict how many people go in right. as it is. They've loosened that up some, but to now have none of it. Um, and again, the roars, Jason, I can't convey this to you and your audience enough. You will be sitting on the 18th green around the green and you can hear a roar that sounds like a jet engine from three holes back, like 15 green or 16 T right. or something when somebody does something in the practice round. Um, and it's it's wild. You got none of that this weekend, so it's going to be different. It's going to be eerie. Uh, and and Fred Ridley, the uh, chairman of Augusta National, who's a Tampa guy, it all connects back to Tampa for us. Right. He said, unfortunately, yesterday they're not sure that they're going to be able to have patrons or fans in, in twenty in in twenty twenty one in April. It is not a given that they're going to be able to have people there either because of coronavirus, social distancing, no large gatherings. Um, that's not a decision for right now, but man, that was disheartening to even hear that suggestion right now, but at least we get something to watch yes. here yes. this weekend. In addition to the football, Jason. Now the question is, is since Tony, since CVS has it, is Tony Romo going to be on the, on, on the, in the tower with Nance and Faldo? <laughs> you know, he might've been lobbying for it because Nance is not working the NFL. Romo's right. got the weekend off. Is Romo right. there? That's a great question. <laughs> and, and now, what do I'm, they I'm, do? What do they do Sunday? 
if we've had delays, and we don't know that right now, but if they've had delays, they're trying to cram in the final round because currently on their timeline, they want to be done somewhere around 3, maybe 3.15 Eastern right. time. They've got NFL football, three different games looming to televise That's on CBS. And you also, Jason, have to allot for a playoff. What if they have to have a one-hole sudden-death playoff, or maybe it goes a couple of holes? you got a lot time for that. This could be a real circus and nightmare because, again, in certain markets in the West where the Chargers are playing, um, I believe it's the Broncos and the Raiders, Las Vegas. Arizona Buffalo is a good Arizona game. Arizona Buffalo is Phoenix. Miami is hosting the Chargers, so it's Miami. They're all waiting for their NFL game to get right. televised on CBS right. Right. at 4 o'clock. <laughs> and, and it may be the Masters has to continue on. And then what do they do? Stay tuned, as we like to say in the business. I have a funny feeling if the Masters is in a playoff, they're not going away from the Masters if that I runs over. So. And then what do you do with the NFL games, and how do you – how, yeah, how you put do them you on CBS that? Sports Network, maybe, and maybe how? Put them on and put them on an app and the NFL.com app and yeah. wherever for people to try to see them in their local markets. Do we do the split screen? Right, which might That's be true. a thought that hey, you've got an NFL game on one screen and yep. we've got the split screen of the Masters over on the left, and you can just watch both. I don't know what they're going to do, my friend. Could be very. I can promise you they've had those discussions. They have had those discussions. And the other thing is it gets darker sooner now. Before you can yes. play the Masters till 7.30 and be fine. But now it's right. going to get dark probably at quarter to six, six o'clock at the latest. So God forbid you had a weather delay Sunday morning or something that you could probably at most go to probably six, 5.30, quarter to six at the right. latest. But. And then the other factor is, is it over or is it a playoff if you're right. if you're approaching darkness too? And then you're talking the M word Monday, which right. nobody wants to see. They've had that happen before because of weather. They've had a couple of times where they've had to have a money Monday finish. It's not ideal. It's not what they want. And again, it's 2020. It's crazy. I mean, whatever we think we know, we don't know, Jason. This will be the year that get somebody wins by 10 strokes and freaking runs away from it. And it'll, be, it'll be over by Sunday at, you're at big, 1 o'clock. You said to me, you're big on who? To come to come back and complete the Rory McIlroy to complete the Grand Slam. That's my pick. Uh, I know he's I know he's one of the betting you know he's a top five or six betting favorite, but I think Rory McIlroy is going to be my. He's won some majors when it's wet. He he really he played well at Congressional. He won the U.S. I believe it was the U.S. Open at Congressional in a wet yes. wet course. He's done really well in some of these wetter conditions, and he's an Irish guy used to the bad weather. Obviously, I know it's not going to be terrible weather there, but I'm going to go Rory McIlroy. Who's your? Give me your. Give me a couple guys. I like you're looking Justin. At. I like Justin Thomas. Yep. Uh, which everybody else does. Hits it a long way in the air, even though he's a littler guy. And uh, as a sleeper, not one of the favorites. England's Tommy Fleetwood has been hanging around the major championships. Yep. Has European Tour wins. Ryder Cup tested. I know this is not a match play thing. Just something says to me he hangs in there. Watch Fleetwood hang an eighty. In the opening round, I have no idea, but I just as a as a shot in the dark, keep an eye on that guy out of England. I'll give you a couple long shots on my end. I, I like Jason Day, who's probably like thirty to one to win that win the tournament. I think Day will play well, and also think a guy. I he's not a long shot. I think I think I think Woods will be in it. I don't think he'll be in the mix to win it, but I think he'll be he'll make the cut and everything. But I like, like again, I'm, I'm going to go Jason Day and Rory McIlroy, my two guys. What are your thoughts on, just real quick, and we'll, we'll wrap this up on the golf. 
the the allure of you walk down Magnolia Lane and your in your game changes. Mickelson Woods and a guy like Fred Couples have always had, no matter how they've been playing, they've always had continuous success in Augusta. It's a good point that you make, and they and they know how to. There's two things that, uh, and I, I got the privilege of working on PGA Tour radio on and off for about five years in the late 2000s and the early 2010s for about uh, actually about six or seven years doing stuff. And the guys would talk about at Augusta that the former players that had played it and you hear these champions talk about it, you know where to miss, you know where you can miss when you've played there five times in the tournament, when you've played there 10 times in the tournament. And that's what you come back to with Tiger, with Phil, with Fred Couples, who combined probably have 75 Masters appearances, maybe yeah. 90 of right. them, something right. like that. So they know where to miss. They know where to miss in a fairway situation when they're taking risks. They know where to miss on the green in certain hole location situations. They know, for example, if the hole is back right, and, and there's undulation and whatever on the green, they know I can't miss front left and bring Ray's Creek into play. If anything, I'm missing long right, for example, right. while we okay. visualize this. Or purposely hit into a bunker. And yeah, I remember one of the years, one of the years that Mickelson won it, he had basically mapped out, I'm going to lay up here to, to potentially uh, put it in play uh, for this whole location, or if it's a miss, it's a benign miss. He had right. mapped out about six different instances of that, and his blueprint worked. And he made the putts, and he won the Masters. So, again, there's a lot of strategy involved because they come to this same course every year. We didn't mention that in, earlier in the conversation. We know right. Augusta. We know the holes. The players know the holes. They come there every year, right. and the guys that have done it 15, 20, 25 times are obviously at an advantage. I'll give you one more name, Bubba Watson. That, that was the name I was trying to think of a second ago. I like you keep Bubba you Watson. keep acting like the guys that have won it twice are dark horses. Bubba <laughs> Watson, who's a two-time champion, cannot be considered a dark horse. I don't care how he's been playing this year. Uh, that's you know. uh, that's one of the faves, and uh, and 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 anybody that can hit it a long way in the wetter weather, we gotta we gotta take a look at what that guy can do. All right, let's transition to we'll do a quick college basketball note before we hit the college football. Disparaging news coming out of Wichita, Kansas. It looks like Greg Marshall is on his way out at Wichita. You know, the, obviously the, he's been the longtime coach for the Shockers. Sounds like there's some abuse allegations, player abuse, verbal abuse. A bunch stuff. of them. Yeah. At a terrible time of the year. Obviously the college basketball season gets is getting going here in the next two weeks. I think they start playing. Your thoughts, Greg Marshall. You know, I know a couple of years ago we had they were on a they were on one of those European trips where they. They take these off-season trips where they'll go play in Canada or in Europe. I know I'd heard some out. I heard something a couple years ago where he had had a big blow up at a at the officials on, on one yes. of these tours. There's and, video. You know, if you go on YouTube and search the video and go on social media, there's video of him acting like a lunatic, and I believe it was in Canada. I think you're yep. right. Where it was a total embarrassment uh, yep. for him. I don't know if it was Wichita State or if it was like an under 21 U.S. thing. I don't think it was USA Basketball now that I think of it. It may have been Wichita State, but his behavior has been called into question. This is a very successful coach at a, at a, at a mid-major program that has now built itself up. And what happened is the reporting began to come out, and Jeff Goodman, who's been a longtime college yep. basketball insider and reporter, 
began to have numerous people talk to him on the record. He did this to me. This is what happened. And then Goodman was able to corroborate from an assistant coach, from another player, from three more players, from from a manager. This happened. And oh, by the way, this happened and that happened. And whenever you read these things, uh, it just makes you wonder where, where is the athletic department, the athletic director, the university president, because these are not single things. There are numerous, numerous allegations that this has been going on with Greg Marshall for years, bullying, physical uh, contact on players. Right. Uh, go, speaking about, speaking of uh, going back to uh, your, your Indiana, roots, kind of the Indiana, Bob, Knight. Bob Knight, it's the yeah. same thing. This is a different day with being able to not not being able to put your hands on anybody for any reason. Um, so Marshall's such a successful basketball coach, Greg Marshall, but it looks like Wichita state is going to delete him. That's not official at the time we're taping this. Right. So they're going to scramble and you wonder how long it takes him to recover from this, to be back at the helm of another major college uh, program. I-, I can tell you, uh, from, from people that cover him from, uh, being around him a little bit from those that officiate with him, there is, there is maniac. aggressive behavior all the time from him. So I can't say, honestly, Jason, that it's surprised. I mean, how much does this surprise you to read all these reports and the stuff that's been out there? It doesn't because, you you know, if you just watching games, if you watch when he was in the NCAA tournament, he was all over officials all the time. I mean, you could just tell that he was just a very high strong. And his own guys. They come off the floor and he's nose to nose with his own guys in NCAA tournament games. And stuff. And, it's, and part of it, part of it, I think, is he is at a small school like that where basketball is pretty much the number one thing. He's probably the he was probably for many years has been the number one guy on that campus as far as the ego of I'm I'm like Bob Knight was at Indiana, the number one guy on the campus. Whatever I do, people are going to fall in the line. And it, like you said, we're in a new we're in a new age of player behavior and player acceptance of what the coach can and can't say to guys and do to guys, what you could do 20 years ago, you can't, you can't do today when it comes to the, to the verbal and the, any kind of, any kind of physical abuse is Absolutely. out of the question, but the verbal, the verbal stuff. I mean, some of the quotes that were in that article by Jeff Goodman uh, towards some of these kids were, were pretty rough. Well, and uh, he's going to learn a hard lesson apparently yep. about that. And, and we will see again, a final four coach. Yes. Uh, remember uh, the year after the final four run, they were unbeaten all the way into the NCAA tournament. I think like 34 and 0, 35 yep. and 0 until Kentucky yep. got them in the second round. They were the number one team in the country. So this is not an insignificant coach that we're talking about. No, uh, but by the same token, it's more than just, a player and allegation it is multiple situations with multiple players and even an assistant coach he got into uh with it and examples of that behavior not good not good on the eve of the college basketball season and and whatever we're about to have for college hoops no you're right you're right you're right all right let's go to the let's get to let's get to the sec college football covid covid's kind of becoming a major impact in some of these schedules and these conferences the sec four games canceled the Big Ten, one game for sure canceled, Ohio State, Maryland. Pac-12, you got issues at California, at University of California, potentially canceling that game this week. How do you see as we get to the – again, people don't realize we've been playing nine or ten weeks of college football now in some of these conferences. How do you see the COVID issue playing into playoff selection opportunities, especially in the conference like the Big Ten and Pac-12 where – they mandated you have to play a certain number of games to be considered 
for the Big Ten championship. I think it's six games in the Big Ten that you got to play. A team like Wisconsin has been affected. How do you see some of these playoff committee relation or discussions going if a team only ha- can't play enough games? I think what this goes back to is what we consistently talked about in July and August and when the Big Ten decided to do what they did and the Pac-12 followed them. And, and foolishly, now they come back uh, with their hat in their hand and, and shamefully saying, please let us back in. Right. And this is where the college football playoff committee will hopefully say, we told you that this is what was going to happen. If you showed back up and tried to cram all of your games in at the very end and you started having COVID outbreaks and didn't have bye weeks, the SEC has had bye weeks, has had some opportunity to, to reschedule some games and shuffle around at the end, and they played more games. And and I am staunch in this. I said it before it all happened. I said it while the Big Ten and the Pac-12 were shutting down, Jason. I've been saying it over and over again. You cannot penalize the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12 for playing more games and taking the risks, and you cannot reward, more importantly, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 for not doing it by saying they're on the same level. They're not on the same level. If the CFP committee wants to look at it and say, you screwed yourself up, Big Ten, you screwed yourself up, Pac-12, by waiting too long, good for them. Reward the ones that were willing to take the risks, do the testing. No one, me included, no one is saying throw safety out the window and and, uh, have that be secondary with college players that are not paid professionals. No one is saying that. But the programs and the conferences that were doing this at the beginning of the year and going through all of the guinea pig like, okay, we got to cancel again this week, they deserve more credit for trying to work their way through it. And that should count. That should matter, and hopefully it will for the college football playoff. And I'm going to give you two teams that I think will have the, could have the biggest benefit of, of this if uh, taking your position. BYU, Cincinnati, those yep. teams have played – Full schedules, they're playing really well, they're beating good teams. I hope those two teams get a legitimate look, look-see look by the playoff committee and not just, well, they're an AAC team or they're a, uh, you know, BYU's, an, I believe, an independent, playing an independent schedule. Those two teams are the teams that really need to get a, a deep, strong look by the playoff committee. Well, and, and in BYU's case, this has even been suggested, I'm referencing again on the Three Dog Thursday podcast, Brian Edwards, my senior handicapper, made this suggestion. Okay, if the mayhem continues with games being paused in the short term, does BYU reach out maybe to Ohio State, for example, who, right. who now has one game canceled and can't couldn't play Maryland because Maryland can't play? If Ohio State is healthy, is COVID healthy, and BYU is COVID healthy, and Ohio State has another game that can't be played, you know, midweek, and it's jeopardizing the number of games that we're talking about, does the Big Ten now relent and let Ohio State play BYU, which there's incentive for both of them to play it. I don't know that that will happen. BYU might do the same thing with an SEC program here coming up, where they might say to them, you're COVID healthy, we're COVID healthy, we need the credibility resume builder, you might – you need this, even though the SEC said we're not we're not playing out of conference games. I don't know, but it's a, a team it's like a Texas A and M, a team like Texas A and M that probably won't make the SEC championship game, but might need one more kind of big win to get into the playoff discussion. 
Correct. That would be a, that, that would the SEC let them do that Would Greg Sankey and the SEC and the board, because they've already said no Florida, Florida state game, no right. Clemson, South Carolina game. You can't have any out of conference games. Would they relent if the, uh, if the outbreaks continue and there's less games for the powerful teams at the top of the conference, would they let a BYU who's kind of making it up as they go right now with their schedule, would they let them? That's a great point. It's a great point. It's a shame. We, but we knew and understood this, Jason, that they were yes. going to have to deal with rescheduling and positive tests and scrambling. And it's an odd year and an odd schedule. And different teams are going to play different numbers of games. It's crazy. Especially in the Midwest where you know the weather's going to get colder sooner where the, the flu, the likelihood of the flu coming into play, the COVID yep. issues. I mean, crazy, man. What, uh, what were your quick, quick thoughts? Notre Dame, Clemson last week, Florida, Georgia. Well, first of all, uh, let's go chronologically. The Notre Dame-Clemson game was the most important game. What an epic battle. How Great. about the first time Notre Dame's beaten the AP number one since they beat Charlie Ward in Florida State in 1993? And I know you were in and around that program. Yep. I don't have yep. to tell you that. Yep. Uh, so it's been 27 years since Notre Dame's beaten the AP number one ranked team. And then ironically, coincidentally, and it's both in this instance, they next lost week. the next week to Boston, Boston College, College in 93. And Boston College is right there in front of them <laughs> right now off the great win over Clemson. Yep. And at the time that we're taping, we believe that game is going to be played despite yep. all the Notre Dame students running on the field and the COVID uh, chaos that happened with that. Let's see what happens. Is there a letdown for the Irish who right. are clearly in the driver's seat right now as the only unbeaten in the ACC to be in right. the college football playoff? But that could change. That could change depending on if they can't play another game. It could change if they lose a game to Boston College or to anybody else down the stretch of the season. They would still be eligible to play in the ACC championship game. So that was just a great game. Great job by Brian great Kelly. Yeah. They, were, they were down seven to tie the game late and force overtime down seven in the overtime to retie it, then took the lead in the second overtime and hung on to win epic game. And you wonder how the committee will look at Clemson without Trevor Lawrence in that game. Oh yeah. Clemson's well, still in how the they mix. judge that Clemson's still in the mix for sure. If they, they're most likely going to have a rematch with Notre Dame in the ACC title game. What will be interesting is if they split, if they both Clemson wins the second one, and it's another good game. How does Notre Dame get treated by the committee relative to a BYU, relative to a Cincinnati, relative to maybe a second SEC team? So that's going to be the the really the drama developing is if all that happens and and obviously uh, and, and Clemson was able to win. So 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 you asked me about Gators. They obviously pummeled the rival Georgia. Yep. Uh, after being down fourteen nothing, they Quick. came they came. Quick. Racing right back. I had that Georgia team. I had the privilege of doing Alabama, Georgia on Compass Media National Radio with Tiki Barber. And Georgia faded badly in that game against the Tide and got beat decisively in the second half of that game in Tuscaloosa. So it, it does not it, it does not bode well right now for Kirby Smart's team because that's the second loss they could no, they're out. afford. They're but out. Florida also has a loss here. Uh, and so for the college football playoff purposes, they basically have to run the table because uh, if they were to lose a second time, losing even the title game to Alabama, they're out. I don't think they're in the college football no. playoff, Jason. But again, that sets up the second team scenario. If they were to beat Alabama in a championship game, Alabama would still have a great opportunity to potentially, potentially not guaranteed to get in as a number two. And 
That's a pretty good matchup. I mean, if you're an SEC fan, you want to see Florida and Alabama, one lost Florida and a no loss and an undefeated Alabama. I know you're doing the Iron Bowl. Thanksgiving Looks like weekend. it. Thanksgiving weekend will be very interesting with the Iron Bowl in Tuscaloosa for Alabama and Auburn. Um, and then it, it, usually that's the final big game that they play. They would sometimes either have an off week or an easy game before the SEC title game, but they're going to have now with the makeup game of LSU, they're yes. going to have like three games after the Auburn game before the yes. SEC title game on December 19th. It's very weird in 2020. It is. Schedule. It is. It is. All right. Give me a couple. Give me. Give, you got a pick. You got a pick or two for me for the week. It's not a great college football slate this week. And we got kind of three, four games. Michigan, Wisconsin's probably a pretty good game. I, Notre Dame can beat. I tell you, I love Michigan in that spot. I said so on the Three Dog Thursday podcast. Just from the standpoint that I know they've lost their last two games, everybody's putting every uh, stink on Harbaugh they can. Yep. Slings and arrows everywhere. They've played the last two weeks. Right. And Wisconsin hasn't played now for three weeks. They've been right. out for three weeks because of positive COVID tests. Michigan at home. I believe Michigan figures it out and wins that game. Good call there. Call I like crazy. that. I like I, that. You may be about to call me crazy. I think Michigan wins that game. I like that. It's a good call because I mean I, I was with you. I thought Michigan was going to beat it. My my beloved Indiana last week, and that didn't. They got destroyed. Great job by the Hoosiers and uh, Tom Allen and company. Notre Dame, BC. Is there is there upset alert in, in Chestnut I think Hill? There has to be natural. Natural letdown. It's on the road. Jerkovic is the former Notre Dame backup quarterback. So you yep. got all kinds of juicy subplots for BC to hang in the game. Yep. Uh, BC should have beaten, should have, could have, would have beaten Clemson. They hung in with North Carolina, so they've been tested. I think they hang in with Notre Dame here at home. So I like that. What is it? Plus 13, something 13 like that. And like half, that. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. like them exactly. to hang in as well as an underdog. For this yep. Game. Yep. One of the note Florida plays Arkansas. No Sam Pittman for Arkansas, the coach. The he coach, tested positive. Yeah. He's not going to coach this week, but Arkansas has been very feisty. Uh, Felipe and Franks comes home. There you go. The, the former you go. Florida quarterback comes back to Gainesville. So that'll be a that'll, nice storyline there. With Dan Mullen and, and and Kyle Trask and all that after he broke his leg uh, in in a, a couple years back, which led opened the door for Kyle Trask to jump in. So Arkansas has been very feisty this year, been very competitive. Be interested to see how that game goes. Again, let down after the Georgia game, but I think Florida will figure out a way to get it done as well. So, all right, you are listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. I'm your host Jason T.J. Reeves, Buccaneer Radio Network, with us today, host of the Three Dog Thursday podcast. Now let's get to your our hometown team. <laughs> First Sunday night games at home since 2008. Oh, and boy. we lay the ultimate, ultimate Easter egg of all eggs. Yeah. What a... That- that, that was what a uh, disheartening performance. I, yeah, lead balloon. And I'm still sitting here later in the week, and it defies explanation as to how they were that bad on Sunday night. The only thing that I keep coming back to is the Saints are a really good, well-coached team, disciplined, do not beat themselves. And, and really, um, you go back to the November loss a year ago with Jameis Winston at quarterback, and you go back and see that game and watch what happened in that game. It's very similar to what happened with the Hall of Famer Tom Brady Sunday night. Same kind of blueprint at home. Saints, by the way, in the same white, all-white jerseys with the yellow <laughs> old-school gold numbers. It's bizarre, but Jameis had four tur- turnovers in that game, and the Saints dominated in the first half and really wiped the Bucks out. They never recovered. It's the same thing that happened back on Sunday. So what do we learn from this? If you 
don't move the ball on offense. If you give the ball right back repeatedly to Drew Brees and let him carve you up by not blitzing him, we've now seen it twice. He's going to carve you up. So it was uh, uh, it was disheartening, but it's only a game. And now now we've gone, we've moved on. We go to the to the end of this weekend, and it's it's the Bucks at Carolina in a rematch. And I keep saying this, and McCaffrey is now apparently out with the injured shoulder. They haven't said that. He hurt the shoulder on the very last play before the field goal attempt of the, of the Carolina loss at Kansas City last week, fell on the shoulder being tackled. If he's not playing, it's even bigger because I believe this is wrong place, wrong time for the Panthers. Angry Tom Brady, yep. angry Todd Bowles' defense with the blitz on Teddy Bridgewater. I, I see the Bucks coming out and making a statement in this game that we are not anything like what you saw Sunday night. Sunday night was just weird. It was bizarre. We got blown out. But this is the kind of team we can be, and I think Carolina's in the wrong place, at the wrong time. Do you disagree with that? By the Not way, at all. I, I'm with you. I, I think if if the Bucks, if the that was a one in a hundred kind of game, if the Bucks and Saints play a hundred times, that scenario never plays out again because they didn't play well. And the offense was terrible. The defense was bad. They didn't kick the ball very. well. They didn't punt the correct. ball very well. Everything that could have gone wrong. Bad challenge by Arians early in the game on a, on a spot which was, you knew wasn't going to get overturned. You know, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong Sunday night. Again, no a limited number of fans at Ray J. I know there was, a, there was a few thousand there in the seats. Not much atmosphere probably, but I'm with you. I think it's going to be a bounce-back kind of week. I think Drew Brees threw to 12 different receivers. He had 11 different receivers. Like three minutes into the second quarter, he had already thrown to 11 different guys. I mean – Brady, the offensive line did not play very well. I know we, they've had some issues at times this year. Donovan Smith on, on the left wow. side. You know, no Ali Marpet was in the – Ali Marpet, their all Pro Bowl guard was out of the game. But I'm with you. I think this was an absolute anomaly for the Buccaneers. You'll see a big performance out of Brady and company this week. The defense will play much better. But they, give Carolina credit. Matt Rules had that team playing very well this year. Yes. Very hard. Um, he's going to be a – won three games – I don't mean to interrupt. They won three games in a row after the Buccaneers beat them in September in week yep. two. So that shut a lot of people up on can he coach in the NFL, make adjustments. He, he went and got some victories. But, uh, again, defensively, this is not the same team that always tormented the John Gruden, followed yep. by Raheem Morris, et cetera, et cetera, Buccaneers in the 2000s. Um, they're not the same on defense. Brady should be able to take advantage of that. And let's see if, again – if Shaq Barrett, uh, JPP, uh, Levante David, Devin White, if they yeah. don't bow up and say, hey, we're not that team that we saw Sunday night just get uh, butchered by Drew Brees uh, in a 31 nothing first half advantage. Let's see if that defense comes with some attitude against Carolina. I'm anxious to see it Sunday afternoon. And I know you have, I know you have all the weapons on the outside. You got Gronk a tight end, but you have to run the ball. You have to run the ball to, yes. keep, to, to, to stop. One, to give your offensive linemen some aggressiveness. To some, instead of they're always backpedaling pass protection, let them, let them establish the line of scrimmage a little bit. Carolina's not very good on the defensive line. This is a game you have to start running the ball, whether it's Fournette or Ronald Jones. Run the ball, take some pressure, because that opens up the play action. And when Tom can play action – then we're on beat. Then we're on devastating on offense. But when he's dropped back every every play, he's still good, and we're still really good. But it's much more predictable what we're going to do. And the play action game is what the key to Tom Brady. And I think this offense is going to be moving forward. 
It's a good point that you make. And they ran the ball well in game one against Carolina with Ronald Jones and Fournette came in at the end of the game and ended up having the long run and had a hundred yard day. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see, but they, they completely got away from the run against the saints and hopefully they've learned from that. Byron Leftwich sees that again, that even if it is hopefully not, but even if it is 10, nothing or 14, nothing, you're down, you cannot just rip the run plays out of the game plan. So right. let's, and they did that last week. Let's see what happens. Quick thoughts on Tua. Much better performance in week two than week one. He was uh, he played very well. I know you cut you watched two a lot. I've watched two a lot in college. He looked yep. that that looked like the two from Alabama, hitting the open guys, hitting the, the anticipation throws, good back shoulder throws. Your thoughts to a week two after he's, week one? He's obviously got a lot of God given ability. He's not very big in NFL nope. terms, and so you're concerned every time they're crashing down on him and falling on him and whatever. Uh, but by the same token, you see the potential and you see what Alabama saw, uh, what uh, Miami saw from all those games at Alabama at the highest level. Um, they're going to be fun to watch. He does not have a great offensive line, but they're going to be fun to watch. Can they keep him healthy? Can he get in the mindset? Chan Gailey help him with this. Ryan Fitzpatrick help him with this. Know when the journey is over a couple of times. Correct. I mean, if, if you don't have that first read or that second read, just get rid of the ball. Don't run around. Don't get yourself clobbered. Don't try to, to be a hero and go run and get five yards with guys all around you and hang it off. Just throw it away. Sometimes right. your best friend on first or second down is just throw the ball away. Uh, or even if you have to throw it away and punt and live yeah. to fight another series, because I saw a couple of times against Arizona where he held the ball and this is going to yeah. happen. And he got clobbered, and you're like, oh, God, is he going to get up? But he he's definitely energized the Miami market. They have had such an odyssey since Dan Marino of trying to, to find a quarterback. Uh, my in-laws are now in Tua's corner big time. They were, they were loving Ryan Fitzpatrick. My in-laws are huge Miami Dolphin fans, my wife's family. So they're in Tua's corner. Miami's in Tua's corner. And let's see, the Dolphins are in position to maybe make a run and be they a are. wild card team or contend, dare we even say contend with the Bills in the AFC East. Let's see if Tua can hang in there, and they got the Chargers this weekend at home. And the other thing is they've got a good defense, so he doesn't have to score 30 every week. Their defense is legit enough to where they can – if he can score the mid-20s, 24, 25 points a week, they're going to win a lot of games because Brian Flores has done a great job in Miami. You know, everybody was thinking after week one, are they auditioning Tua to see if they can – because remember, they have the Houston Texans draft pick. Everybody's talking about Houston's not going to be very good. Would they consider taking a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance in, in the next draft? I think they found their guy, but like you said, know when the journey's over, throw the ball away, and a punt is not bad. A punt is not bad when you're if you're Tua. And that's what got him in trouble at Alabama. He never wanted to end the play, throw the ball away, because his athletes were better than everybody else's. But sometimes, especially in the NFL, a punt is okay. Throw the ball away. Do not take that unnecessary hit. Hey, he's a special player. Uh, and, a, and a great family too, and the, and the brothers doing well at Maryland. And I know they they're not going to get to play Ohio State this weekend, but I, I thought it was a neat story where uh, the brother Tualia, as I believe how you say it, uh, they have different first names, and Tua's is short for Tua, and it's Tualia. I think I have that right. That Tualia a lot of the time was playing wide receiver for Tua in the backyard growing up and learning from him and learning what to do. And they have such a great family. Uh, structure there you, you root for this kid off Absolutely. a serious hip injury I have no allegiance to the Dolphins I don't want to no. hear it anymore from my in-laws but I, I root for the story and I root for him to succeed when a lot of people were doubting if he could play in the NFL after the hip injury let's see what happens
All right, we're gonna get you out of here. Give me a couple picks for the. I'm gonna give you a couple games. Give me your just quick, quick thoughts for that Buffalo Arizona game. Big game out in the desert. Wow. And Josh Allen has been fantastic. He was last week again against Seattle. Uh, Kyler Murray, speaking of Heisman winners and undersized guys, and he's, yep. he's scrambling around. He's another guy that's got to know when the journey is over. He took some hits in the Miami game running around. Right. That's going to be a great Buffalo's defense. Uh, eh, give, eh, give, eh. give me Arizona because it's at home and they bounce back off the Dolphins game. Give me Arizona. Yeah, I got you. I'm with you too. I think, I think, I think. Bad loss for Arizona last week. As good as Miami played, Arizona should have still won the game yet last week based on the, on the circumstances of the game. You know what Arizona did just real quick before you move on? That just it's maddening, and we've now seen this several times. Major college uh, and the NFL, and you're a, you're a big special teams guy. You're a big kicker guy. I, I know everybody relies on the kicker, but Arizona was in position to take a shot to the end zone with about a minute left or thirty seconds left, or a couple of shots in the end zone with their high powered offense. You cannot, cannot, cannot always rely on the field goal is going to be good. And Zane Gonzalez is the kicker. I know I have him in fantasy, and he kicked it short from a – he mishit it from like 48, 50, 48. 49, 48, whatever it was. But it wasn't close. It was like two or three yards short as another example of if you have a, a an opportunity to throw a low-risk pass towards the back of the end zone – maybe draw a flag, maybe have a spectacular catch, and you don't take that opportunity, yep. you a lot of times get what you deserve if you miss the field goal, and it happened to Arizona last week. And I, I, and I don't I like some of, the, some of these NFL coaches, they settle for a 48-yard field goal. If you're settling for a 35-yard field goal, I can live right. with that in the NFL. But like you said, back to your point, try to get 10 or 15 more yards. Or throw a ball in the end zone, you might get a P.I. call. But when you're when you're settling for a 48-yard field goal as a game winner, when it's just oh we know we're going to make it, you're not always going to. Those guys in that league are not all going to make that kick. There's only a handful of guys that you can say I'm putting him in this in the game no matter what yardage it is, and I have utter confidence. Zane Gonzalez isn't one of those guys. Well, and I'll give you a quick story, and I know you want to go on to one more pick. The 19, actually, this is the 2000 Buccaneers with Sean King at quarterback. His his second year first full year as the starter, they were rolling at the end of the year and they had a chance to beat the Green Bay Packers at the end of the game in Lambeau, freezing cold. They had won like five games in a row. This would have been a head-to-head -head tiebreaker over Green Bay. Uh, you're still at that time in the NFC Central. The old NFC Central could have won the division basically by winning this game. Tony Dungy, Mike Shula, uh, and that wasn't even Mike Shula. I think Shula was gone, and this was Les Steckle. 2,000 Buccaneers, <laughs> Les 20 less, less for one wow. year. Less was not more. They knelt on the ball on second down and third down. Again, to your point, trying to kick like a 35, 37-yard field goal. And Sean King actually backed up and knelt down like two yards back. Warren Sapp was ready to run on the field and kill him because he backed up. <laughs> twice and knelt down two yards back and moved it back to like a 39 yard field goal they took no shot at the end zone field goal for the win and martin grammatica missed it god love him i love grammatica yep. automatica grammatica but he missed the field goal wide to the right they went into overtime and far beat them in overtime and they ended up having to be on the road at philadelphia in a wild card game and lost in the first round yep and there's another example of if you have a chance, um, you know, take the take the shot. I mean, the the most famous one. Well, I totally digress. Is the Raiders and the Colts, late 70s, 
sudden death playoff game. John Madden talked about this for years, that I was not just going to rely on the field goal attempt. I was going to go ghost to the post. Dave Casper ah. goes to the post. There you go. And yep. we took a shot at throwing it in the end zone instead of the field goal to win in sudden death. And he caught a very famous Raiders postseason sudden death overtime touchdown because John Madden said, I'm not just going to rely on the kick. I'm going to take a shot at an end zone with a Hall of Fame caliber tight end. All right, I'm off my soapbox. Take where else, the end zone in the end Where zone. else are you going to get ghost to the post references ghost. other than the powers on sports podcast? Ghost to the post, brother. I mean, and now all of the sub-40-year-olds have to look up what we're talking about. Yes, yeah. for all you youngsters out there, Google 70s, late 70s Raiders playoff Raiders. mania. There have been some wild finishes involving yes. the Raiders in the 70s and 80s involving playoff games and fumbles and recoveries and all that kind of stuff. So... Google that. That's your that's your homework project today, folks. Is to Google the Raiders playoff in the seventies to the post against yes. the Colts in double yes. overtime. Great, uh, great, great, great story. Rams Seahawks last one. Big I, NFC West division matchup. I love Seattle. I took them on okay. three dog Thursday off the loss to Buffalo. Rams, I know, have been sitting at home here off a of bye week, but I like the Seahawks. Where is my stat? I have I have this stat. Seattle, the last three years, going back to 2017, road underdog like they are right now. Road underdog, Seattle, 9-3-1 and one in wow. 14 games as a road underdog. You rarely they have not been an underdog this season. You rarely get them as an underdog. I like the Seahawks in the first matchup with the Rams to win the game outright. Russell Wilson bounces back. I think Seattle wins the game. Okay, good one. I had Buffalo last week against Seattle. Buffalo was getting points at home last week against Seattle. I love Buffalo last week. You were right. Remember, remember the Rams come to Tampa the following Monday night Correct. for a Monday night showdown. The Rams coming off an off week, so that'll be a interesting – Big pivotal game in the NFC West out there because that division is loaded with them. I mean, even though San Francisco's down, they're still capable of upsetting somebody. They're not going to win the division, but they'll, they'll, they'll be a pain in the neck to somebody moving down the road. But that, that's a great division game. My upset, I'm going to go Chicago Monday night getting three points at home. I don't understand. I know Minnesota's been playing well lately. Dalvin Cook and company. Your guy, Dalvin Cook. I know. He's on my fantasy team in your you league. It, we're, we're in the fantasy league together, and Powers has been killing people with Dalvin yes. Cook. And your we boy DK Metcalf, who I know you wanted on draft night, <laughs> DK with the Seahawks. Those two guys have been really, really big we players. We have only recently begun to speak to each other again after you took DK Metcalf <laughs> out from under me in the TJ Jason Powers fantasy league that we're in. But yeah, Cook has been phenomenal the last the, two weeks. The last, what the last two games, and so let's see if that continues for the game with the the Bears, whose offense has regressed. Yes, uh, I know they they're bad, but I'm gonna give me the Bears at home plus the three. Monday night, that'll be and my And for the Powers on Sports audience, of which a lot of it is listening in and around Florida and the Tampa Bay area, the uh, the Vikings and the Bucks. The Vikings come to Tampa late in the year. Dalvin Cook and the Vikings, Kirk Cousins. We'll see yep. what happens with that. Yep, Bucks got a great home schedule coming up. You got the Rams, you got Kansas City, you got Minnesota coming to town. Yep. So good home schedule these next four or five weeks. So, well, TJ, fantastic work. I know it's short notice for you, and I appreciate you jumping on with us. Again, follow TJ at Buck Sideline Guy on Twitter. 
Check out TJ's podcast, the Three Dog Thursday podcast. I was a guest on the last one, so you really have to check it out. Um, TJ is also, again, the sideline reporter for the Buccaneers. TJ does boxing analysis. Yeah. He does multiple podcasts throughout the weeks with uh, all kind of subjects, and he's super well-versed on all kind of things sports. So definitely check out TJ. And uh, thanks, TJ, for jumping on with us with the Power My pleasure. My pleasure to jump on with you. we got a lot going with football and the Masters this weekend. I'm anxious to watch it all unfold, and let's see if the Buccaneers can bounce back. Good to be with you, my friend. Thank you, sir. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Beautiful.